Hello, welcome back to the South Sound Jenna podcast with Charlie and Zidane. Hope you guys enjoyed last episode. Again, as always, follow Twitter at Southside Agenda. We're being we're more active every every day now after a crazy night last night. That that was ridiculous. We'll get into that later. But Zidane, as always, how's the podcast gonna roll out? As you can tell, we do have a guest with us. We did tweet out before we are gonna have Josh Nelson from the Sox Machine. Josh, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, guys. Okay. And as usual, with a guest, we want to get some of the perspectives. Obviously, got to talk about the Sox machine, a big Sox, White Sox podcast. Me and Charlie are both fans. Some general White Sox questions, and maybe even we'll talk about Justin Fields. You never know. Charlie, you want to start us off with our first question? All right. So, like Zidane said, we both listen to Sox Machine podcast, but for the people at home that have not gotten to listen, want to explain mm-hmm. to the viewers what it is, how to start, you know, what's your story? Sure. So this is our eighth season podcasting about the Chicago White Sox. So we started during the 2014 season. Uh, So we had that nice little ramp up through 2015 and 2016 when the White Sox had that big spending spree and then the rebuild, which is a great time to podcast about any baseball team. Uh, But it was, it was a good learning experience to live through the rebuild and, you know, watch as far as the White Sox new core come together and some of the frustrations as a baseball fan living through a rebuild and where we are as far as today. Uh, My partner, Jim Margulis, he's been blogging about the White Sox for 15 years now, uh, which is incredible. I give him a lot of credit. Uh, I'm halfway there as far as on the podcast front uh, with his writing. Uh, But during the regular season, we have some type of episode Monday through Friday, whether it's a 60 minute shows on Monday, White Sox wake up calls to recap what's happening around the White Sox, the minor leagues and major leagues uh, during the other mornings. And then of course, Sox machine live, which we moved over to YouTube and cause everyone's moving a video these days. Uh, so we're giving, we're, we're dipping our toe in the water uh, on the video front, but that that's pretty much as far as the you know, Sox machine, you can read our work and listen to it at soxmachine.com. Awesome. Awesome. I, I cannot imagine it was hard to be a fan at that, at that time. <laughs> I, I cannot imagine what it would like to be getting up and having to record a podcast at least two times a week, talking about the talking about, I don't know, like Jeff Samarja and all those guys. And that, that was, that's, I can, I cannot imagine doing that. I, Buzz it on. The, the funniest, uh, the funniest memories are conversations we used to have where like, can Dylan Covey pan out? Can Daniel Polka be the full-time DH? Do the white Sox discover, you know, diamonds in the rough. And then, we find out real quick, no, uh, were the answers to those questions. And it was always the top prospects, the first round picks that they made uh, that are part of their contending core today. But it, it is kind of funny to look back at those episodes and the types of conversations in which we would try to sell ourselves on some guys, like maybe Charlie Tilson could be a fourth outfielder. Maybe Ryan Cordell could be a fourth outfielder. And uh, none of those panned out in the end. We mentioned you mentioned Charlie Tilson. I do. I don't know if I've told this story. I don't think I have. I know Zidane knows this. Actually, I'm not even sure if you remember it, but it was 2019. I think it was, it was obviously in the season. I could check my phone, but it might've been, it was the first couple months of the season. And I was in Kansas city for, for that series. I think it was a three game series, two out of the three. And 
I'm getting to board the plane to go home. Right. So before that we went to, we saw Rockies game and then we saw Mm -hmm. the um, White Sox in Kansas city and me and my dad go to board the plane and we just start talking about, we just talking to this guy and his friend about the White Sox. And they were asking, Oh, you were here for the series and everything. And it turns out that that guy was Charlie Tilson when he got cut from the team. (laughs) That's a great story. (laughs) My dad, we board the plane before it took off. My dad saw it on Twitter. We were like, that was Charlie Tilson. Or we we found, he told us that he was Charlie Tilson. And it didn't resonate us. It didn't resonate in our head that why would he be on our plane if he didn't get cut? And (laughs) that's great. It was hilarious. So we saw him at baggage claim and I actually could get it right now, but he was like, Oh, thanks for being so supportive. And we were like, we hope you come, we hope you get back everything and I'll show it right now. <laughs> he actually gave his batting batting gloves from his bag. I'll try, oh, to, awesome. I'll try to put this on Twitter, but he gave, <laughs> the batting gloves and we were like all right we took a picture and we were like goodbye that that was that was pretty funny me and my dad were like that's so mean of us like we didn't even realize that he got cut right away and that that was funny on on uh, on the plane ride home from Kansas City on want to get into the next question I believe we asked this to Matt too obviously origin as a White Sox fans some of the most interesting stuff because sometimes it's just where you're born sometimes people just like the team so we got to ask you, how did you become a White Sox fan? Was it a disturbing experience or just just happened to be? Uh, it's kind of a sad story. Uh, my dad passed away when I was six years old uh, due to a, a drinking and driving accident. And uh, at the time, it was in 1990, in the month of June, uh, I'm getting into sports as far as football. I'm a big San Francisco 49ers fan. Uh, so when you're a kid in the early 90s, it's really easy to root for the 49ers. Steve Young, Joe Montana, Jerry Rice, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, this was in Champaign, Illinois. And I got introduced to baseball. And this is during the Good Guys Wear Black campaign. And that's something that I'll always remember. And uh, then I turned seven. And then Frank Thomas started becoming a star. And uh, I just was impressed with just how large of a human being he was and loved the nickname, the big herd. And he quickly became my favorite player. Uh, My family then eventually moved to Wisconsin and the Milwaukee Brewers sucked uh, during that time. They were, they were, I should say that in 1992, they were okay. Uh, But in 93, obviously that was a really special White Sox team uh, to win the American league West and go to the American league championship series, tough series against the Toronto blue Jays as they won back to back. Uh, But I've always remained loyal and that's you know, growing up in Wisconsin, nobody else is a White Sox fan. It's just me. So uh, it was a very unique experience. I had the Frank Thomas shoes when I was in middle school. Uh, loved the Frank Thomas video game. So I was a huge Frank Thomas fan and, and stuck with the White Sox. And then it became Mags and then Carlos Lee. And then, of course, Paul Canerco. And then it's the 2005 season and the 2008 season. Uh, so that's, that's kind of how my White Sox fandom uh, really started was uh, as a coping mechanism uh, to get my mind, even as a young kid, uh, to occupy my mind outside of my father's de- death is to really get into sports. And uh, 
being in Champaign at that time and Frank Thomas emerging as a superstar and watching the White Sox on WGN, uh, that that's what fueled my fandom. Yeah, that rebuild was crazy. And we're, we're not in Chicago, so we're in the suburbs and we're surrounded by Cubs fans. So, Oh no, I'm sorry. It's <laughs> when I realized that Zidane was a Sox fan, I was like, all right, I have a couple people to talk to. All my friends are Cubs fans. <laughs> And most of them, they're not even baseball fans because that's one of the big things we talk about. Like, how can we grow the game through young people? Because young people, it's kind of sad, but they don't, they don't like baseball. But obviously my dad was a Sox fan. His dad was a Sox fan. So I was surrounded by Cubs fans. My whole family's pretty much all Cubs fans. And so, yeah, Zidane, what was, what was your, uh, how'd you become a Sox fan? I knew it was a little, a little later around the road than me, but what, what do you got? I definitely didn't start off as a baseball fan. I barely even watched it, but like the few times I can remember early on going with my family to a game, it was always to the White Sox. Tickets were so cheap. It was like, you might as well go. So, I mean, it's just the team I latched on. It was the Chicago team. I'd been to the games. I knew some of the players. Like you think back Cubs in early 2010s, no idea who played there. That's before Rizzo, Baez, Bryant. Who knows? That just forgotten in history. But I knew Jose Abreu, knew Chris Sale, knew they were good at baseball. So just been a White Sox fan since. I mean, it's pretty simple. I think this is a good segue into our next question. But Zidane said, you know, going to the games, tickets were so cheap. I, I should have said this before we started. I'm going to the game on Saturday. And this, I'm when I smell that smell, you don't even need to describe it. You can just say that smell. <laughs> And you'll yeah. know what I'm talking about. I'm gonna. I might break down. Honestly, I I have not been to a game. I don't know when my last game was. But th- again, this leads us into our next question. Obviously, there's a lot being a fan for way longer than we have. But what's your favorite moment that you saw, and favorite moment that you saw live? Well, I just saw Carlos Rodon's no hitter. Oh, uh, which is which probably, is pretty special. Uh, so for this season, my hands were shaking because it was so cold, like filming the final out. Uh, but that was, that was a special performance. And, and you know, in the fourth inning, uh, some other famous White Sox Twitter folks, Beef Loaf and Cherizi from the 108, I was with them for that game. And uh, I just pointed to the scoreboard. I'm like, guys, believe it or not, Rodon's got a perfect game going through four. And then it was five. And then it was six. And then it got through seven and it was like the Hawk Harrelson. All right, friends and family, as I'm texting, you need to put the White Sox game on. I know you're not paying attention right now, but you do need to put the game on. I'm not going to jinx it because you hate when I do that. Uh, but then they all, then they quickly found out what was going on. And then unfortunately lost the perfect game in the ninth, but still got the no hitter. Uh, so that was pretty special. I remember Jose Abreu cycle. Uh, vividly uh, took our friends who are from Atlanta and they were out for the weekend because I think that NFL season, the Falcons were starting the season at soldier field against the bears. And uh, you know, they weren't big baseball fans, but we took them to the white Sox game and they got to see that moment. And they were just like super excited because this really special thing happened. And 
Abreu's triple was right in front of us. We were in the right field bleachers. And as soon as the ball left the bat, I just knew, okay, he's got a chance. He's got to make it all the way to third because this is rolling to the gap. And it's the fastest I've ever seen Jose Abreu run because he must have known as well as soon as it left the bat, this was his only opportunity to get the triple. Uh, so that was, a, that was a pretty special moment. I remember Chris Sale versus Mark Burley uh, when Sale won that crazy 10-plus strikeout run of more than you know 10 starts in a row. And then Mark Burley was pitching really well, and the Toronto Blue Jays were playing some good baseball. That, that was a fun game. Uh, as far as postseason games, I went to the only postseason game the White Sox lost in 2005, uh, in the game one of the American League Championship Series. I dragged my buddy Kyle uh, from college all the way up at uh, Oshkosh, University of Wisconsin, Oshkosh. We drove down and uh, it, the neighborhood has changed quite a bit uh, since 2005. And this is a guy who's lived in Wisconsin all his life. And he looked at me, he's like, where are you taking me? And I'm like, I promise you, there is a baseball stadium and then he was fine as soon as we parked, but you still had the projects right next to the stadium and a lot of barbed wire on the fences. I, I remember that pretty vividly, uh, but as postseason games go that that was the only one that I went to so far as the one that they lost uh, in 2005. Yeah, I, well, I've been told some crazy postseason moments. My dad went to the, the Pacenda game, I think that's all. That's all that needs to be uh, said yeah. about that one. game two. Yep. But my, I, I bet I go to like maybe in a normal year, maybe like four, five, six home games a year. So I get there a good amount of the time, and some away games if I'm if I'm traveling. But the one, this is not really a game. I think it's a day. I went to the cease, um, the cease debut and the Abreu walk-off three-run bomb. I, I think it was against Detroit. And Cease, the first thing, this will definitely um, lead us into what we're going to talk about later, obviously, because of what happened last night. But me and my dad were like, yeah, Cease, this control, he needs to he needs to calm down. He's throwing balls high, fastball high. He's not locating his curve. But he got there in the end, and we got, we got a few good pictures of him uh, coming into the dugout. But then that that Jose Abreu game was awesome. Moncada launched an absolute bomb into right field. I was like, this was before it really resonated in my head that okay, we, we're gonna be good in a couple of years. Like I already knew it, but at that time I was like, nah, we got we still got some bums on our team. I don't know if Delmonico was playing that game. And <laughs> and Yoan crushed the ball. There were so many home runs in that game. And when Abreu hit that, I have that on video. I, I need to post that on Twitter because that was like two, that was like two years ago almost. And you could hear my voice just so high. It was, it was hilarious. But John, favorite Sox moment could be from this year or a couple years ago, whatever. Live. Live is an interesting one because Charlie definitely goes to more games than I do. Maybe one or two home games a year. It's an interesting one. I think it probably my first Sox memory ever. I probably went to a game, but like those years kind of blinked for me in my childhood. I don't know why, but all I can remember from my first time going to guaranteed rate field, I believe AT&T Cellular at the time. Cellular, yeah, U.S. Cellular. U.S., yeah. It was Jose Abreu, and at the time I did not know who he was, but apparently he was good. People really liked him. They cheered for him, and then he just hit a bomb out to left field 
can't remember who it is against on to be honest but my first moment of like wow baseball's not that boring yet <laughs> yeah that, that is true before. if if you if you have someone that's undecided about the sport watching on tv is going to do nothing for them you, you got to bring them to a game so when they see the home run then they can see the feet be like wow that ball is cruising and it is going far and i can't believe someone hit that ball as far as they did and then it helps translate onto television Vice versa, though, with the National Football League, if you take someone that's not familiar with American football and you take them to a live game, it's not the same as watching it on TV uh, because you get a lot of people asking questions on why aren't they playing? Why is there stoppage right now? And you have to explain how television timeouts work. Uh, It's just not the same type of experience of introducing someone to that sport on football. You you might as well just do it on television because it does a better job than live, but baseball is vice versa. You, if you are new to the sport and you want to get people into the sport, uh, you got to get people at the stadium so they can watch it live and and hopefully they love the sport enough that they'll continue to watch it on television yeah i think that that point you bring up is good and this again this will lead us into our next question it's all about like the ballpark experience i feel like like if you're not watching a good game you're still around people and Mm -hmm. you're still eating good food and you know it's just the experience and i feel like so I've been to Wrigley like one time and I obviously the layout there is different. You got the good food outside the ballpark. The food inside isn't really amazing. So I feel like if someone went inside and didn't get good food and it wasn't really a good game, you still got the amazing scenery to look out, to look out at because obviously the stadium is cool. Obviously it's really old, but um, well, too much positive Cubs talk for me. But, um, <laughs> but like I said, that does lead us to our next uh, question we asked Matt from Pinwheels and Ivy podcast about this I feel like this is what you plan out before you go to the game what's your ballpark order for food what do you do to every game is it different every game or is it the same you know it typically if you're not in the bubble so right now if you go to a White Sox game as we record this you are in your designated sections and uh, twice that I have gone to I've been in the purple section which is right around the right field corner uh, and there I just go to Burger Bar and I get the Comiskey Burger, I think it is, and, you know, get a Modelo beer and, and I'm happy as a clam. Um, but once concessions really opens up, I love Elotes. I really do. Uh, and, you know, it's such a great cheap option. If I got a sweet tooth going on, uh, I love to get uh, as far as the churros, or at least the bag of churros, because uh, the ice cream line is always too long. But if I'm really in the mood, I, I and I hope they bring this back, the, the Cuban lady, the Cuban Comet in the left field line, that is a fantastic sandwich. I love that sandwich. Uh, and usually I make my way, even though if I'm really far away or on the opposite side of the stadium, before the game starts, I make my way around the outfield concourse and uh, pick up one of those sandwiches. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, that those churros are awesome. We, when I usually go to games, my dad just buys tickets, move down because that's what you could do when, when we, <laughs> we were, we were not too good. Yeah. Obviously that's actually good that you brought that up because I need to know how this uh, new COVID ballpark world goes, goes on because I don't understand it. Like, and I'm kind of mad. Like I want my food. I want the food that I usually get, but yeah. we'll have to, 
we'll have to, I, I'm just excited to go to the game. I mean, let's just say that. But I always get tacos from the antique taco stand. Yeah. It's first base side, like a little bit up, maybe to like I forget what row, but I usually get two tacos, you know, wait, wait a couple of innings, gotta get a brat, love the brats, um, put a bunch of stuff on it. Then around maybe the sixth or seventh inning, I go with the churro and ice cream, like it was it's like the by left field foul pole i think hmm. and and those are those are awesome but I, I hope i can get some good food because that that'll be nice but zidane what what do you what do you like to eat when you go there it's obviously pretty similar to you charlie you know at least for the basics it's got to be those antique tacos they're great i love them they're my favorite food i've ever had at a baseball stadium so i mean they're just really good tacos. I mean, I don't know what else there is to say. You know, it's part of the experience. Baseball stadium food is always great. Has If it's not, which I have not experienced, I don't know what you do. But oh, I've had yeah. bad baseball food. <laughs> it's, uh, let me trying to think here. County Stadium, the old Milwaukee Brewer Stadium had terrible baseball food. Terrible baseball food. Uh, I have, I've been told that you got to eat before going into Cleveland. Uh, also, I might Cincinnati. be going there soon. That's good to know. Yeah. Uh, not everyone has good baseball. Oh, Yankees. Uh, I've been told do not eat the food at Yankee stadium. Eat before you get into the stadium because the food is greatly disappointing compared to what the White Sox offer. So there's bad baseball food, but for the White Sox, yeah, you're spoiled. They offer more beer options than any stadium in the league. And they have consistently for the last three years, because they put a lot of effort into it uh, to have the best baseball, you know, as far as concessions in all of major league baseball. That Yankee point is so true. Like we were doing stadium rankings in the off season when we were trying to find some ideas for podcasts and Yankees, it's not that high because the, uh, as far as the stadium goes, like it's cool. Like I, I thought it was a little underwhelming, but there's just so much empty space there. Like I go through the concourse. I'm like, where's the concession stand? Then there's one area with a bunch, but they don't have those like stands from restaurants. And it was cool. I got, I got away from judge. So that's, that's at least a positive, <laughs> but Zidane, we got to go. We got to get to the general White Sox questions, the good stuff. Obviously, last night was awesome. But a big talking point over the past couple of games is Tony LaRusse is it on. What's our first question for Josh about Tony? It's basically, what do you think? You know, it's obviously super early in the season, but he is a baseball genius. I mean, that's why he's in the Hall of Fame, and his big thing is the bullpen even though players have struggled, how do you think he's done with the lineup injuries, stuff like that? You know, paying attention to how LaRousse has been managing, I still feel like he's trying to get a good feel of what he's got, even though the White Sox, as we record this, are 24 games into the season. And it has been a little bit frustrating, especially how he's been handling Andrew Vaughn. There's a lot of questions on why Vaughn's not getting more playing time. Uh, why is Lurie Garcia getting so much run? What does Jake Lamb do on this roster? Uh, but he has been challenging the starting rotation and leaning a little bit more on them in the last couple of weeks after it became pretty apparent that the bullpen was struggling to start the season. 
And I'll just be honest, the bullpen has been underachieving for what we thought they could be before the season. They're starting to get into rhythm, though. So hopefully they do find their way and they perform at the level that we thought they could be as the best bullpen in all of Major League Baseball uh, before the season started. So I think he's been making adjustments well. There have been some games, though, that there's just some bad patterns, uh, not really getting a good feel. Like with Lucas Giolito, Giolito tells the media, I ran out of gas. LaRusse is next in the media scrum and said, I thought that Giolito had more left in the tank. And the media has to tell LaRusse that was not the case, that Giolito was out of gas. Uh, so that was a bit odd and awkward. Uh, the way that he handled Matt Foster and just pretty much let Matt Foster die in the vine against the Seattle Mariners and take all those runs uh, was a bit as was a bit odd decision as well. And, and you are right, Tony Larusa is a Hall of Famer. He has had a great, tremendous amount of success. The thing about Larusa is that he's 76 years old, and we are 24 games into the season. And what I see is somebody that's getting tired. And I really raised the question of, yeah, he may have felt before spring training that he had the energy to do this, but this is going to suck the life out of him because there are expectations with this team. They are playing well now. They can be playing better. They should win the American League Central now with the way the Minnesota Twins have started. There's a lot of pressure. And will, will he be able to handle another slump like they had to start the season where they started eight and nine? Uh, will he be able to handle the tough questions that come during the summertime? If the Minnesota Twins and Kansas City Royals don't fade away and they become really strong competitors to the White Sox to win the division. I think this is a one year deal in the sense that after this season, no matter what happens, if, even if the White Sox win the World Series, I am expecting that Tony La Russa will not be coming back for his age 77 season uh, with the White Sox. That This is a one and done. And it's not that the White Sox are going to fire La Russa. I just see a tired man right now. We're not even a quarter of the way through the season. He's got off the field issues again with his annual foundation. And it sounds like a family civil war uh, that he's dealing with right now. And it, it's just a lot. And honestly, if you're 76 years old, why do you want to deal with this? And uh, I know he's got a love for the game. And, you know, I think for all parties, if the White Sox do win the World Series, then that would be a good moment for him to walk away again from the game and just say, hey, I helped you accomplish what you guys wanted to accomplish. But in the end, this is too much for me and I, I, I need to walk away. That's how I see this playing out for La Russa after this season. Yeah, I mean, that the pitching management. So I'll just start with this. Of, of course, means that I'm started this podcast last season, and it was towards the end, probably like 40 games in, 45 games in. And in the offseason, we heard the rumors about La Russa. And as young people, we're like, all right, we got to get some – obviously, it's not going to be 15-whatever-year-old managers. Obviously, that, that's not how it works. But <laughs> we want we – want, we wanted a manager that would not be as outdated as him. And I knew my pick from the start and Zidane was not, not so keen on it, but I wanted AJ Hinch mm. and listen, of course what the Astros did was wrong and it, and it shouldn't be done, but I feel like they, he served his punishment and he should be back and he should have been back with the White Sox. And of course, we're never going to know how he's going to manage the bullpen. And 
he's he's working with pretty much nothing in Detroit. And um, that th- those were my thoughts about Hinch. But yeah, the Rodon and obviously Rodon's been awesome, but him throwing 200 pitches, over 200 pitches and two starts combined, because obviously he had the no hitter and then he went 100 again. I was like, I was like, this is a guy with injury history and why why risk it again like this guy you have something here obviously he's what four five and oh four starts right Mm -hmm. four four starts yeah and he's done amazing there's no there's no way that we can risk him getting injured Zidane what are your early concerns about about Larissa uh well when you talk about like during the offseason when we were worried I think our main concern was we wouldn't mesh with the team I will be honest I'm very happy with how he's meshed with the team what we saw from spring training, what we see from practices, the footage we do get, it does seem that he's getting along. The players do like him, from what I can tell. It's just, as you said, he kind of looks tired. And when it comes to tough decisions, I don't know. I just feel like there's an indecisiveness where he wants to keep a player in. He wants to keep pushing them. Then he might go to the bullpen. And I don't know, it's just been kind of disappointing, you know. I guess we can wait. We can obviously, it's 24 games amount, but it's still quite small. So we'll definitely give him more games. And I think he'll, I hope at least, that he'll figure it out. We'll see where each player is at, how they're feeling, and who we can put in, who we can take out. We'll see. But, I mean, it's an interesting situation for the White Sox. It'll be interesting how him and Ethan Katz handle it. You talked about uh, tough decisions and either towards the end of this, well, in a couple of weeks, there's going to be a big decision and towards the end, hopefully leading into the playoffs. But again, this leads well into our next question. Adam Angle, a player that I was high on right, right away, obviously right away from last season, obviously he had, he did have his struggles before then, but he's looked awesome. A guy that he made a great play, obviously to get that Giolito no hitter, but a guy that has great fielding and with the absence of Eloy, this is the question. I mean, who leaves the everyday roster when Angle comes back? And yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah, this is a good question. Um, I wonder if the White Sox are going to play some tricks in the sense of having Adam Engel kind of warm up and play some exhibition games in Schaumburg because they are allowed to do that because he's been away from the field for such a long time. And he could be doing that now. I, I am unsure on how they're handling Adam Engel. I just saw a tweet that he bought a car. Uh, so he's alive. I know that much. Uh, we haven't seen him in a while, uh, but it is a good question. I mean, again, it goes back to Jake Lamb. I don't know what Jake Lamb brings to the White Sox team at this very moment. Uh, you have Lurie Garcia as well that has been struggling. He's had a good double header where he drove in five RBIs, but that's the best he's played this season. Then you do have Andrew Vaughn. And I know this may break White Sox fans' hearts, but the play might be to swap Adam Engel in and move Andrew Vaughn down to AAA in Charlotte so he can play every single day and get more at bats. And I could see a lot of frustration in this sense because Vaughn's finding a rhythm and Vaughn is a better hitter than Adam Engel. I think that's safe to say even now with the limited experience that Andrew Vaughn has. Um, But that might end up being the play because Andrew Vaughn's got options 
And if you cut Jake Lamb, and I understand where the counter argument is, who cares if you cut Jake Lamb? Who's going to sign him now? And I totally get that. But if the White Sox are afraid of depth and they don't want to lose any veteran players, they could easily send somebody down like Andrew Vaughn, who has player options. And then that way they don't have to cut Jake Lamb or Larry Garcia and they still got them on the roster just in case if somebody else gets hurt. Uh, so I could see that possibly being the play, but if the White Sox are comfortable cutting Jake Lamb or Lurie Garcia, they may be on the chopping block once Adam Engel is healthy enough to join the White Sox. But I don't know when that's going to be. Yeah, I think Vaughn looks really good hitting-wise right now. Obviously, his fielding is always going to look uncomfortable. It means on both said it. Like, if he's going to make a good catch, it's going to be uncomfortable because that's just not his natural position. But yeah. – He's getting the balls and it'll be fine, but this is, it's a, it's a big decision, I think, but the problem with, you know, what the problem with, I don't think, actually, I don't think there's a problem with cutting Jake Lamb. I think, I don't think he offers anything as well, like you said, but Andrew Vaughn sending him down, I think could be a good idea. And it's all about experience. Obviously he didn't play above single a and, if he could get more at bats in, in AAA, that would be good. Angle comes up for a bit and he does well. That's that's perfect scenario. And I was thinking, how good does this lineup look when Eloy comes back? Because this is ridiculous. With Cease pitches how he did yesterday, obviously he won't every night. But if he's locating that curveball better, obviously he changed his he changed his approach, um, just aiming at the strike zone and everything, not worrying too much about his control, just you know, just he just shoved last night. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he, that location on just Melk, not Melky, Melky Cabrera, Miguel Cabrera was absolutely amazing, and he fooled them so many times. So a fully healthy lineup is is going to be awesome. Zidane, any uh, any thoughts before uh, we ask the final question? Um, I think I just have to agree with what you guys said. I think who gets the chopping block once Angle comes back because you saw him in spring training, you saw him in 2019. There is power there. You obviously know his fielding. He's still super fast. So, I mean, you have to bring Angle up. Andrew Vaughn is an interesting case study because I do feel like he's put together more good at bats. And when he does make contact, he does make pretty hard contact. I'm like, I like, I just, we talked about all the time, he is amazing play discipline. That was all we talked about when we talked about Andrew Vaughn. I'm still seeing that. He's approach to the plate, I still do like. But the question is, would you rather have Andrew Vaughn in left field, a interesting defending, interesting defense situation at the best? Or do you want Adam Engel, who's shown he can surprisingly hit from last year in the games he did play in spring training, and move him up. It's a interesting, again, it's a weird situation for the White Sox. I don't know what they're going to do. I wish I did, but uh, I mean, we'll see when Angle does come back. All right. So the final question to end it off is just how good was that cease outing last night? I was so excited. I've always wanted to believe in him from the moment I saw him, like I said, in, in uh, his first, in his debut, it's going to be all about control. Then I saw him, I saw his second start as well. And I was like, it's about to control again. And 
pretty much every time he's pitched, it's, it's, a, it's been about that control. And last night we saw it. He was absolutely dotting. Obviously, one thing I feel like needs, that needs to be said, we're 24 games in the season. And I feel like our biggest challenge, oh, definitely our biggest challenge was the Angels. And we're not seeing the Twins for a little while. We're obviously seeing the Indians a lot. And I want to wait till Cease and Rodon face some really good hitters. I think I definitely think Rodon uh, will do it, but I don't know how Cease's approach will be against guys like Buxton, who destroys us every time. Like I like him as a player, but I just hate him when he plays against us because <laughs> this, he's a speed demon and he can absolutely crush balls. But what what did you notice from Cease uh, last night? You got to pay attention to his release point because before last night's game. Uh, Dylan Cease was at about 41% as far as throwing first pitch strikes against opposing hitters. That's not going to cut it in the majors. The average rate is 56% for pitchers getting first pitch strike. So when you're 15% below league average and getting the first strike in more times than not, if you're facing 10 batters, you're starting one and zero on six of them. You're going to get yourself into trouble, whether you're allowing hits or you're walking these guys. And that wasn't the case last night. He was in the 70% as far as throwing first pitch strike. That's absolutely crucial for Dylan Cease. He's always had a good fastball, but what he needs to do is work on his release point. Thanks to baseball savant, we can pay attention to release points on each of the pitches that Cease throws. And he was much closer to the cluster for all of his pitches. And that does a couple of things. One, it helps tunnel as far as his pitches. So the hitters themselves, because these are major league hitters and they can notice the little things on where you are releasing the ball and what kind of pitch you're throwing at me. Uh, it makes it tougher for them to kind of figure out during the midway point of the tunnel, we're talking about milliseconds here on being able to recognize what did you just throw me? And you go back to that Miguel Cabrera at bat. I honestly think Cabrera thought that he was throwing fastballs in that at bat, but it was really just sliders from Dylan Cease. And I also think that having a more consistent release point helps him, as you mentioned, with his control. He has better control as far as those pitches because then he can build up consistency and he can build up rhythm. And his previous starts, if you look at the release point, it's a big cluster. And you don't want a big cluster. You want a really tight cluster as far as all of your pitches. Uh, because if you start getting inconsistent with your release point, that's when your control gets inconsistent and you get into trouble like Cease showed uh, earlier this year when he couldn't get through the fifth inning. That Last night was the first time he was able to get through the fifth inning, which was absolutely huge for him and throwing his first complete game shutout even if it is the seven innings, but moving forward, if he can control that release point and now he's got this curveball, uh, which has this 12 to six drop and it really tunnels nicely with this fastball that likes to live up in the strike zone, man, he can get on a roll. And Carlos Rodon even said after his no hitter, watch out for Dylan cease, like Rodon's on the Dylan cease train and starting hyping him up. And if cease throws starts throwing the ball, well, I, out of all the starting pitchers for the White Sox, I guess you can make the case that Lucas Giolito is struggling the most out of the five. Uh, and that's a bit odd to say because Lucas Giolito is absolutely terrific. And I think he's the best starting pitcher uh, the White Sox have. Uh, but then all of a sudden, what we were concerned about before the season, which was the starting pitching staff, now all of a sudden becomes the White Sox strength for this team. Much needed, especially when you have an offensive void and Eloy Jimenez being hurt. 
And now that really improves the White Sox odds of winning the American League pennant because no other American League team has a starting rotation that's pitching like the White Sox right now. Yeah, I we've always known he's got the stuff, but if Cease right. can get that control down, it's it's ridiculous. But Zidane, any uh, thoughts about uh, Cease? Any observations before we end it off? I'm gonna be honest. I was watching the NFL draft during this game. <laughs> Went pretty well for Chicago, so I'm happy I did. But I did go check back, look at the highlights, look at his stat line, try to get what I could, and. This looked like one of the best outings I've ever seen from Dylan. He's probably the best, at least for me. You know, that curveball was working, and we have not seen that before. I think it will be just huge for the White Sox if you have Lucas Giolito, who is struggling, but I mean, like, in the Tigers game, if Larissa pulls him in the seventh, he only gives up two runs. Wait, zero runs, I believe, actually, because Wilson Ramos ties up the game. Is it a zero run. or one? One run. Yeah, because yeah. Miggy hit a home run. Excuse me. So that would have been a much better start. Dallas Keuchel, I mean, he's Shame just tonight. a ground ball pitcher. You will against Shane Bieber. Should be interesting. You have Lance Lynn, who has been absolutely balling, and I believe he's back from injury this Cleveland series. I'm going to see him Saturday, I think. Yes. McKenzie. That's good to hear. And then Carlos Rodon. Best pitcher in baseball. I mean, Jacob DeGrom, lefty, who knows? I mean, he is playing out of his mind. Then if Dylan Cease is like this, that would be so much better. And I think especially if we don't have to lean on that bullpen because that bullpen is struggling. And there is a we've seen. He has a tendency to be like, yeah, I'll leave my guys in for a little longer. If you have all five of those pitchers going seven plus, at least seven, that's great. That is amazing. And that could really help our chances in the AL Central. Awesome. Now, positive stuff from Chicago. It's going to be an interesting game tonight. But, again, thank you, Josh, for, for coming on. It was definitely awesome. And uh, going to the game Saturday, I'm really excited about that. But Bieber, Michael, tonight, we'll be live tweeting for this. Thank you, Josh. Hey, guys. Thank you guys so much for listening to that episode. Obviously, big thanks to Josh from Socks Machine. Make sure you guys follow his Twitter at Socks Machine underscore Josh and listen to their podcast. It's awesome. So, again, thank you, Josh. And sorry if uh, the podcast cut out once at the start and once at the end. We were having a little trouble with Zoom. But we'll see you guys next Friday. And make sure to tune in tonight for live tweeting of Socks versus Indians. Keiko versus Bieber. Thank you, guys.